Hello, everybody. How's it going today? Go play as the 231 here. Back in today, talk about weekly Shonen Jump issue number 41 of 2023. And this is a very interesting issue of Shonen Jump, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong, it's a very good one, but it has a lot of interesting, different things going on in it. Of course, we have a series ending this week in Tenmaku Cinema, but also it is the start of a new series also with Mama Yu Yu also joining the lineup, right? But another interesting thing about it is that I only have 11 series to talk about today instead of the normal like 12 to 13 that I've had the past previous few weeks. But of course, with series ending and new series beginning, that number will get back up to that steady amount as time goes on. Um, and I don't really have too much else to say before we hop into it. I mean, like normal, we'll be talking about all 11 series I read in Shonen Jump and ranking them in complete order from what I thought was the best series to what I also thought was the worst series. And every single little number inside inside of that, right? If you want to know what, like, I ranked 5th out of 11, like, just wait till the end of the video or jump to the timestamp I have labeled down below and you can go check it out. But I will also be picking a MVP or my most valuable character of the week or pretty much just who I liked most, right? And normally I would start with My Hero Academia, but there is no My Hero Academia. So let's start with One Piece. Oh wait, there's no One Piece. So let's start with Undead Unluck, chapter number 174. This chapter is titled Unprince Charmant, which interesting chapter title, right? I mean, of course, we know that Rip, who this chapter is obviously faced on a lot, is a Prince Charming, but he's an Unprince Charmant. So that's a little interesting, right? So this chapter pretty much focuses on rip it just shows how much of a good guy rip is in the beginning we see that he walks into hospital and he's a little bit of a monologue pretty much just saying like hey um i hate the distinct air that hangs in hospitals and he's like that air that represents the dreary of death but he's like i want to get rid of that air here in this hospital because the hospital is a good place and he's like after all i'm going to heal everyone and repair everything as we see Rip um, interacting with a lot of children who are just sort of walking around and doing various things, and we pretty much show that Rip has made specialized little candies for each and every one of them, just showing how good of a guy he is and everything. Eventually, he ends up just hopping out of a window to go ride a horse by, of course, Layla's room, who is in this hospital. As we see that Layla's sort of repeating a little bit of a saying or something, saying just southwest, southwest, look in that direction, eat by 10 every day. And if you do that on May 3rd at 10.05, you'll see a prince on a horse. And of course, Rip is doing this as he rides a horse. He's like, Layla, I have returned. How are you feeling, right? And of course, she freaks out. And then Lotla freaks out just to show the dynamic between the three of them just going on. And as time goes on, um, the three of them just start talking. And Rip just asks Lotla, like, hey, when will be a good day to perform a surgery on Layla? Like, when can we do this so it'll be successful? I mean, use your fortune teller telling abilities. Lotla just won't answer Rip's question at all whenever he just asks, like, come on, like, he, like, and he insists too. But eventually, Lotla's like, all right, hold up, you two. I can tell you one thing, all right? The day of your wedding is going to be um, June 6th, seems like a good date, right? And she says that, she walks out, right? And Rip and um, Layla just give each other a little look as Rip goes to hang behind, as Lala sort of just pulls him in, and Lala sort of has this moment where she just thinks like, hey, um, thinking on their dynamic back when they were all kids, like the three of them together that we've clearly seen throughout the um, last loop of Undead Unluck. 
or the first loop we've seen the story, the 99th loop, right? You, you guys get the point. But we pretty much see that Layla is pretty much the same, like, hey, if I'm going to die and not get any better, I want you two to be happy together, right? So at this point, Rip just gets down on one knee and just sort of like pulls out a ring and he's like, all right, hey, we're going to spend our life together. Like, it's no big problem. And as he's doing this, him and Layla are both smiling at each other. All of a sudden, Layla just coughs. And she doesn't just cough, she coughs up a lot of blood. As all of a sudden, we see she just coughs up a bunch of blood and just collapses. And we see this is happening all over the hospital as a lot of patients are suddenly just getting worse and worse. Their conditions are just, yeah, not getting any better, right? And Rip is just like, hey, okay, what, what the hell's going on here? As he's rushing out Layla on a gurney. And as all of this is happening, um, everybody's just freaking out in the hospital. And eventually, Rip's is like, hey, okay, Layla, hey, don't give up. You absolutely will not die here. My sister said we're going to get married on June 6th. And she never has lied about a prediction in her life. I know this is going to happen. As all of a sudden, he looks up. And standing in the way of the gurney here is a girl. And of course, we can tell this girl is Fuko. As Rip just yells, they're like, hey, who are you? I don't care who you are. Just get out of the way. This is an emergency situation right now. As eventually, Fuko just speaks up and says, hey, the cause is Umasik, the target of our current quest, and the 10th master rule, Uma. Mr. Rip, let me help you. For this illness, your unrepair will do the trick. As we see that Latla is also standing there right next to Fuko. So... This is a really awesome chapter, in my opinion. It shows us just how much of a good person Rip is, and also the, the dynamic between the two sisters and Rip, um, which is just great. Uh, still, I don't like the whole things. I've always wanted to call one Layla and the other one Lalo, and the other one's it, right? Very confusing names, but it gets a really nice point across until eventually we see Fuku at the end here, which I didn't even mention, but she is holding the um blade runner boots that rip of course sacrificed his own legs to put on to give him um like that firing range attacked power so she's is holding those right um and yeah we also get the introduction of oh, okay master rules are going to be something in the future that's really interesting right but good chapter i don't really have too much to say about it so if that let's hop over to the ichinose family deadly sins chapter number 40 this chapter is titled sota's despair so I'm sort of just on a fly through this one because it is a lot of like not really important information to get to a single point at the end of the chapter. So, okay, Sota is very in much in despair after his whole found family has just disappeared. Eventually, Kinta runs away and Iono, or not Iono, that is the Pokemon lady, um, Iono, that's her name, um, also runs off to look after Kinta. Sota and Tsubaso follow and they have a big talk. Um, all of a sudden, they just keep on talking. They just keep apologizing for, hey, I thought if I ran away from my problems, this could be a perfect family, when it truly isn't. All of a sudden, they turn a corner to find a police car. And inside this police car is Kinta, who is hugging a woman who we presume is his mother. We pretty much learned that the reason Kinta's mother wasn't around was she because she was in the hospital for appendicitis, and Kinta was supposed to stay with some neighbors for the time, but of course, he ran away and stayed with all of these people instead, right? At this point, all of a sudden, as we're talking, we see that um, Ayano gets a call from her father, who uh, apparently didn't know where she was at. So eventually, she just goes back to her family, and Kinta and Tsubasa are stood on their own, right? 
We eventually cut over to a scene in the train station. I don't know what type of train station this is, but it's a train station where Kenta is trying to throw away the shirt that all of them purchased together, right? But Tsubasa is just like stopping him. He's like, hey, I mean, my shirt got stepped on, but I'm still taking the shirt with me, right? Sort of convincing Kenta to, or not Kenta, Sota, to not throw the shirt away on a whim like this, right? He may cherish it in the future, right? And eventually is, um, oh my gosh, Soda is just sulking here. Tsubasa pretty much snaps him out, just saying like, hey, obsessing over all that stuff isn't going to help us in the long run right now. Let's go back to our family, the Ichinose's family, right? And as they're all talking, um, Soda's like, hey, why are we doing this? I, I don't want to, right? But um, Tsubasa's like, hey, I don't know why, but let's go home so we can figure it out. And he's like, besides, everyone's there. Grandma and Grandpa won't wake up, and Dad's always exhausted from his job, Mom's always pissed off, and sure, he's almost never home, but the seven of us are a family, and and we're all alive and well, and so are you, Soda, right? So he's like, no matter what happens for now, let's go home to Tokyo. As we see, they are boarding the train and going home, so. Um, this is a fine progression. Um, we get to see the Ichinose family all back together, so. I really don't have anything to complain about there, right? And next up is Martial Master Sumi, chapter number 12. This chapter is titled Round 12 Blue Belt. So, I'm going to spoil it now. Nito gets a blue belt here, right? But we pretty much get the beginning of the chapter as Nito is sort of thinking about his life. And he's like, just up until my dad died, I spent my days believing that life was just the way it was, right? That I would never change. He's like, I don't want to be seen as a weirdo. And I did everything I could not to stand out, right? But we see that he's looking around the gym of Yoshitoki's MMA, and he's just thinking, even though it was completely suffocating, but here, I can truly be myself, right? As we sort of see that he looks around, we see that Yuya's in a match currently, and while he's not doing great, we see that he's still training, and he's in a place where he can go and do what he wants to do. Like, he can dive into things he loves in a safe environment here. So as the two of them are talking, we eventually see that. Now walks over to two of them and is like, hey, whatever you do, just take it at a good pace. And eventually we just see that now and Nito start to spar. Um, Nito just thinks more and he's just like, oh man, this MMA is just really fun. Before I, I think I felt embarrassed by my grandpa creating his own martial art. Our style always felt like, felt like a shackle around my life, but now it's really useful, right? And he's like, um, the movements um, Yoshitoki's taught me, or the movements my grandpa's taught me resemble Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I can't help but wonder if that's where our style began, right? But as Nito's thinking all this, he finally just stops and he's like, oh, wait a second. I've got to do something about this um, underground promotion that Kazuro wants me to be in, right? And he's like, um, well, Kazuro decided I'd be entering. You're like, I'm already sort of into brackets, so I got to figure out a way to do this, right? And he's like, I haven't told anyone yet. But eventually, um, as all this ends, we see it, the sparring match with Nito and now ends. So whenever that ends, we see that everybody in the gym sort of comes to get in a big circle to sort of just like talk about gym stuff, right? Um, and Yoshitoki's first announcement is just he offers Nito a blue belt as he says that, hey, over the past month while you've been doing classes in the gym, um, you have amazing skills and you've already become adjusted to the rules of jujitsu very soon. He says, if I were to offer you, um, if I were to sign you off um, to joining a tournament as a white belt, white belt however, um, some of the other sensei might give me an earful about sending someone as strong as yourself. 
So while it's not traditional, I present you with the rank of a blue belt, right? And Nito just thinks like, man, this is just so nice. And like, it, it doesn't matter about the belt color. He's like, but just thank you for giving this to me and honoring this. And after all of this, he just thinks they gave me a blue belt. So I can't go behind any of their backs now. Not after this, right? So eventually we see this is at the end of the day, um, Nito is there with Yuya and now he just tells the two of them to go ahead and go on your own. I need to talk with Yoshitoki real fast. So as he walks into the office, the next thing we see is just Yoshitoki just saying, no, like, I cannot authorize you to enter that tournament as part of this gym, right? And of course, Nito is like, ah, oh, man, I, I mean, I figured as much, right? But Yoshitoki's like, ah, oh, damn it, Kazuro. I mean, I know the dropout's history and he's just thinks about it all, but he's like, there's no way I can let you enter under Yoshi's MMA. Um, this gym is a place where I have prided myself in letting parents know if they send their kids here, they will be safe, right? And he's like, or at least that's what I want to be. So I cannot let you enter under the banner of it, right? So um, Yoshi's like, so can you turn Kazuro down, Nito? But Nito is like, well, the thing is, like, I know this sounds really bad, but I kind of want to do this myself. I want this chance to test myself, and I need to get started before it's too late as he thinks of his grandfather, who, in all um, reality, probably doesn't have too much time left, as he thinks about that, and of course, he needs to be able to get into the pros so he can have Kazuro come see his grandfather, right? That is Nito's big motivation here, right? And as he's just thinking this, he's like, I, and eventually his point is like, I'm sorry, I know this is really dumb, but this is something that I need to do and see through, so... Even though I love this gym, like, I really love coming here, training with everybody, but I don't want to cause any further problems for you. That is why I'd like to withdraw. Thank you so much for everything. Um, my time here is brief, but I had an amazing time here, right? And at this point, he also sets down the blue belt that he was given earlier that evening, just saying, like, I, if I can't take this anymore, like, this is what I'm giving up here, right? But Yoshitoki's like, well... Um, don't break my heart by saying that you're already withdrawing, right? As he calls over Iwo, one of the other professionals inside the Yoshitoki MMA, and um, he's like, listen, Ito, as a grown-up, I can't hear all of that, and then he's like, no, as a friend, I can't let you just walk out of here. And he's like, if you're going to enter, then I need you to meet some conditions, right? And he's like, fail, and I won't let you enter even if you quit all this, right? I'm like, I'm gonna make sure, right? Um, he's like, there's three rules, and here's the first. He's like, you're going to have to spar with um, Itawake here. He's a former MMA pro, right? And he's like, um, two rounds, three minutes each. Um, is this Torney's training, right? And as Nito just looks, and he's like, very grateful to this. But Yoshitoki's like, um, you need. I'm familiar with all your grappling abilities, but you need to be able to handle, be able to handle a tournament, right? Um, so he's like, if you want to enter, make me believe you can, right? As Nino's just like, I'll do it, and he like takes off his ray and gets into the ring, right? And as they're doing it, um, they get into a little bit of a fight here, and Yoshitoki's just telling Nino some good information of like, alright, hey, do this, do this, right? And eventually Nino just asks, like, hey Yoshitoki, can I use my thing? And we obviously see Nido's talking about his finisher, right? But we see that Yoshitoki's like, hey, you don't need permission, go ahead and do it. So Nido's like, okay. And at this point, we smash cut to three weeks later, right? As we see, we're in the dropout ring. As we see that a bunch of the people in the audience are like, Hey, start the damn tournament already. Like, we came here for a fight, right? As eventually, they're all talking. And we see that um, the announcer is here. And he's just like, 
All right, everybody. Thank you for your patience tonight. The Dropouts Integral Tournament to crown the king of the um, 70 kilogram and under class will now come in. So let's rumble, you bastards. As he just like goes out of this. Um, we eventually cut back to the three conditions that Yoshitoki um, may need to agree to, right? Of course, we know the first was to spar with Iwa to make sure that he was all prepared. The second was to tell your family, right? And he's like, I can help you explain if you need it. As we cut over to Nita's family where um, they're all watching the screen and we see that um, even Nita's grandpa may even be watching Nita fight, right? And the third is to take Yoshitoki as Nita's second. Um, he's like, not as your gym rep, but as your friend, right? As we see that Yoshitoki's here along with Iwa and they're both here and Yoshitoki's like, hey, Trust in yourself and do it. I only allow this because I know, Nito, that you stand a chance, right? As the announcer just continues on, just saying, like, the younger brother of the dropout's legendary rising star, Kazulo, Nito Asumi, right? And he just announces him, and Yoshitoki's like, all right, Nito, time to win this. As Nito's just thinking, like, all right, everybody, you better be watching this at home, especially you, Kazulo, because today is my true MMA debut fight, right? And as this ends, um, we sort of get a little end gag of the panel as we see the Yoshitoki looks over at Nito, and Nito's legs are shaking very big, right? So, like, Nito is definitely scared about this tournament. This is an awesome chapter, how it builds up the whole idea of Nito enjoys everything about this gym, right? He gets granted a belt and um, pretty much gets an honor in the gym, but then to be able to do this thing that he feels like he really needs to do, he needs to drop out of the gym, but then showing that Yoshitoki isn't going to let him ruin himself like that, and he wants him to continue being a student there, so... It is just an amazing moment, and eventually just seeing the yeah, area, yeah, we're going to see Nito in the ring actually fighting some other people. This is just really awesome, right? I mean, um, to this point, I think I mentioned it in this recording, so I've had to re-record this video twice just because the first two just didn't come out good at all. Um, but yeah, like I said, I am filming this like four months after the fact of when these chapters came out, so there's definitely a big discrepancy. So this arc is already done by the point I'm recording this, and this is just an amazing beginning to it, right? Well, next up is the new series, Mama Yu Yu, chapter number one. This chapter is titled, um, oh, I think the chapter title is all the way at the end of the chapter, so... I've got to scroll through uh, like the 50 pages here real fast and oh, there we go. Is it gonna work? Oh, oh, are, are, are we getting our technical difficulties? Um, <laughs> um, chapter number one is titled The Day I Became a Hero, right? So we start off this chapter with, of course, a um, one page car page, eventually going into a two page car page, as we get the idea of two words. Hero and Demon Lord, right? As we understand, Hero is one who vanquishes darkness and brings peace to the world, and a Demon Lord is one who rules the world through fear shrouded in darkness, right? And we get narration that's going, and now this world once again holds two who bear the Demon Hero moniker. And then we get the idea of sort of, right? As we see the established Demon Lord and the established Hero sort of here, as we see the two of them are sort of interacting with each other, right? And we see a bustling world going around and 
obviously the whole point of this is to spoil now is that the hero and demon lord in this country sort of get together so heroes and dem demons are living in peace because as we see our hero corleo walking down the street we see that there are um, people with demon horns and regular humans coexisting together right and as everything's going on we start off this chapter sort of like a straight interview as somebody's interviewing people right um, and we understand that the war in Memorial Day is around the corner, right? And, um, they're just talking to each other and interviewing people about the war. And there's a, not really a lot of important stuff here, but eventually one guy just says, like, Oh, the current hero? Oh, man, what's his name? Um, the one, I mean, you know, like, Cormello or something like that, right? Um, but no, his name is Corleo, right? And that's the whole point of it, right? So that people don't exactly know who today's hero is. Now, this series, of course, I'm recording this way after the fact, but this series is very interesting for its paneling layout and storytelling style, in my opinion, right? Because we get a lot of interesting paneling and storytelling going on within these pages, right? As we see at this point, we just start off some narration just going that Corleo was conflicted. He was a hero, and just as the previous hero passed away, a sigil appeared on his two-month-old hand. An orphan, as an orphan, Corleo was taken in by the demon lord Mamama, um, who is the um, person who we saw before, the current demon lord Mamama. Pretty funny name, right? Um, and it says, he was raised in the Eastern Army dorms until age 16. Um, he lived in a time of peace when fighting wasn't necessary, which is why Corleo was conflicted right as we eventually see that he's walking down the street and um he offers to help a old lady just carry something across the road right just being a good person right um and we get more narration just saying it like for he couldn't find the answer to his own question what does it mean to be a hero right um as we get in fully introduced to the demon lord mama Ma, age number 38 right as we pretty much learned that um she is taken on a motherly role for Cor Corleo, pretty much being her mother, as they talk about, like, the sigils of Corleo's is like, I mean, I was thinking of maybe doing some military training or something, right, as Mama's is like, hey, don't be stupid, you're already 18, I mean, you need to go off to college, right, and he's like, um, neither you nor I have duties in the military anymore, and he's like, besides, these are the problem anyway, as they look at the sigils on the back of our hand, a sigil for the hero and a sigil for a demon lord, right, and um, as they just like keep on talking, there's a little bit where, where Corleo's is like, I mean, what does it mean to be a hero anyway? And he's just like, um, if I'm a hero, shouldn't I be like the hollow hollow guy who was a hero before me, right? And as they just keep talking about, eventually Mama is like, hey, don't keep fixating on the past, right? Like, I mean, you're better than that. We see that a little while later. Um, we see that Corleo goes to the Museum of Demon Hero History and looks around at all the previous heroes um, and demon lords as he looks at the like the 58th hero, um, Popo Lopo, and like the 10th or 101st hero, um, Bipe, and um, the predecessor to Corleo, Hollow Hollow. We actually don't get a number for Hollow Hollow, but we pretty much just understand like how important all of these heroes are, right? And he just thinks like, I study, I eat, and I sleep, and I live an easy life, so. Does that really make me a hero? As we eventually see as he's standing there, a family comes up to want to get a picture of Corleo. So Corleo's just thinking about this and he's just like, you know what? I think I want to stop being a hero, right? As all of a sudden he's walking around, um, walking out of the demon hero exchange museum or whatever it was called. 
as some guys run up to him in the street, right? And they're just like, um, hey, Corleo, you have to come with us right now to the Eastern Army HQ. Like, come on, you have to go right now. As eventually we see that Corleo goes, um, and he gets there, and there is a new person there, right? And we see that these two military personnel are like, all right, his name is Evan Allgreen, and apparently he is a hero from a different world. As all of a sudden we see his character who, I have to give it to the author, Evan Allgreen is just a, such a stupid name, but I just find it so funny. I mean, in Japanese, I mean, this is all probably written in katakana, so it's just spoken like Evan Allgreen, which, um, of course, those words mean nothing to the Japanese people, so it's just like, they can call a character that, which, in English, it means, alright, this guy's name is Evan, and he's all green, I mean, so it's just funny, but pretty much I'll just refer to him by Evan for the rest of the chapter, right? Evan is here, and he's just like, man, I can't believe there's really a hero here besides me, and he's like, I'm the hero, Evan Allgreen is like, I believe that while fighting the Demon Lord, um, while fighting Demon Lord, I got hit with some sort of teleportation, teleportation attack, sending me to this world, right? As Corleo just looks like, the hero sigiled, and he really must be, he is a real hero, right? Um, eventually we see that Mama Ma runs in the room, she's like, alright, okay, what gives, what's going on here? And we see that Evan gets out a sword and goes to attack Mama Ma, who of course has the Demon Lord sigil on her hand, right? Evan starts freaking out, and he's like, um, I thought it was strange when I heard that demons and, um, heroes and demons, or humans and demons coexist in this world, and he's just, like, freaking out, like, what's going on here, and he's just like, oh, man, but eventually, as he gets apprehended, he's like, my apologies, I mean, you no harm, um, my body only acted on instinct, but hear me well, before long, in a few days, the demon lord king of disaster will come to this world, and he's like, um, I am to blame for not finishing it off, and he's like, it's strong, I doubt anyone but me can slay, and he's like, after I slay, you can do whatever you want with me. So could you just give me time until then? Um, and eventually here, we get another very interesting panel. As we see that Mama and Corley are just looking very shocked. We see that one of the military guys is like, Alright, hey, hold on, we'll just wait a second, right? And they're all saying, like, you're a hero from our world. That's ridiculous. And they're talking like, like, Alright, hey, when did you come to this world? And um, Evan just says that he's like, if I recall about eight days ago, right? As they just talk, and um, eventually, this scientist guy is like, all right, um, as valedictorian of this universe, and he's just like, um, there couldn't be two heroes in this world that would disrupt the, um, the world's laws, and it might um, cause fatal risks in the planet. And it's been eight whole days. As long as he's alive, we have no idea what will happen to the world. Um, we don't have a second to lose. We must execute him now. And eventually, he's just talking, and Evan's eventually like, that goes if you're assuming that I am a real hero, and he's like, um, then it would give credence to the coming of a different demon lord, meaning that if you kill me right now, you would have two demon lords to deal with, right? Um, and everyone's just like, alright, I'll defeat the demon lord without a second deluge, and he's like, afterward, I don't care if you kill me, that'll be both best for both sides, right? We get some more narration where Corleos is like, um, he's like, alright, what's going on here? He's like, I can feel my heart tremble. And eventually we see that in the underground dungeon, Evan is locked up in a room and Corleo comes to see him, right? Um, and Evan's like, right, hey, so you're this world's hero, huh? What, what's your name? And Corleo's obviously like, hey, my name is Corleo. Pretty simple enough, right? And eventually um, Evan's just like, hey, Corleo, this is a very strange world. 
Nothing here is same, as same as the world that I am from. To think that people and demon lords could be sitting side by side. And he eventually says, I mean, you have sigil, and you have no sigil sorcery either, right? I mean, this world is just really odd. And Kaleo's just like, sigil sorcery? What are you talking about? As Evan sticks out his hand and flames come out of it, right? And he's like, if you know about sigil sorcery, then you wouldn't have to put me in an unbooby celled trap, right? And he's like, it's just common sense, right? And Corleo's just like, wow, that's crazy. As Evans is like, I mean, I assume you're down here because you have business. And he's like, what do you want? And Corleo's like, well, I wanted to talk um, to another hero other than myself. I um, mean, he's like, this chance doesn't come often at all. As all of a sudden, Evans is like, I see. And next thing we know, they are in a forest, right? As Evan just says, like, hey, let's change locales. As they're in this forest, and Corleo's just like, huh, what in the world? What just happened, right? And Evan's like, this is also what Sigil Sorcery can do. And he's like, don't worry, um, I'll return to my cell after we have this little chat, right? And he's like, um, I've also never seen a hero other than myself either. So, like, I guess this here will do, right? As he eventually just goes and cuts down a tree. And somehow with that, he makes two wooden swords out of it. And he's just like, hey... We can chat while we spar, right? Um, and eventually, um, we see the two of them are swinging swords, and Evan's like, have you not studied the blade? And Quillet's like, no, of course I haven't, right? And um, Evan's just like, I mean, man, that's really impressive then, right? As Quillet's like, really, what are you talking about? But Evan's eventually just like, yeah, really. As he just goes and nearly takes out um, Corleo, right? And But before he can, we sort of see that... Um, Corleo, I don't know if he quite blocked it, but he sort of stops the blade from coming down as he's like, hero, Evan. What does that really mean? Um, and Evan pretty much just says, like, a hero. And Corleo just goes through about his whole thing of, like, um, here's demon lords used to fight, but eventually um, we achieved peace. And he's like, I don't know um, how to do anything, and I'm not even stronger. I don't fight. I don't hate demons. I don't want to fight them. And he's like, even so, I envy you so much. And he's like, I'm such a fraud that I want to quit being a hero, right? But eventually, Evan just talks up again. He's like, hey, Corleo, I don't know about any of that. You can search for your own answers, right? And he's like, don't seek them from others, right? As eventually we see this is a potentially a day later or something, as I guess we infer that Corleo and Evan went back to their cells and all of that, as Corleo just thinks more about what is a hero and who is suited to be a hero, right? And as he's walking down the street thinking about how he can answer these questions, he sees that there are two bullies ganging up on a kid. And Corleo looks down at this, but then he looks away and sort of just cries. He just thinks about what he's got to do about this. And he eventually walks down and um, he eventually ends up saving the kid as he pretty much tells up like, hey, ganging up on somebody's lane. Like, you two should just get out of here while you have the chance. Um, so as they're doing this, we see that um, he talks with the kid and gets him out of there. But eventually, Corleo comes home and he's got a bandage on the side of his face, right? And Mama looks at me and um, he's like, I got into a little bit of a stupid fight last night. Like, that's not too much of a problem, right? Um, and he's like, I didn't punch anyone. I just gave him a warning sign, right? But Mama really just freaks out. just like, what kind of fool are you um, if things took a turn for worse? And what would have happened to you then, right? And like, do you think you're some kind of hero now? And Corleo just thinks, like, I am a hero. Um, if I'm not, then what's this sigil doing on my right hand? He's like, what does that make of me? And he's like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And he just sort of really gets taken down by this. And he's like, if um, this is what being born a hero gets me, then I'd rather not have been born at all, right? 
But Mama sort of just takes him and she's like, hey, I'm, Corley, I'm sorry I wasn't taking you too seriously earlier, right? Um, and the two of them sort of just talk and she pretty much pulls out the idea of, hey, Corleo, don't think at all that you should have been born at all. Like, you are still important, right? Um, eventually, we see that Corleo just sort of runs off and just like, man, I'm just so pathetic. And he's like, what am I doing here? Um, but eventually, he just thinks and he's like, man, I guess I'll go back and say sorry. As he's standing behind a window and all of a sudden, the entire world goes pitch black. As Corleo's like, what in the world's going on here, right? As we see that Evan has suddenly um gone behind him and everybody's like nightfall what's going on here and everybody's like what's going on and eventually we see the one of these scientist guys like um hey lady mama um something gargantuan is heading straight toward us as we see that corleo is now in this weird space with evan and the, he's just freaking out, like hey what's going on here what's going on here right but evan's just like hey i teleported us here of citrus sorcery and now we're floating right and Corleo's like, hey, that's not what I meant. I mean, I was wondering that too, but like still, why did you bring me along? As Evan just says, well, here it comes. And he says, the demon lord end. As we sort of look over and we get this idea of the demon lord end, it's pretty much an amalgam amalgamation of a bunch of eyes, human faces, a mouth. I mean, it is just very weird. And like, it's just an amalgamation of just the human face, hands, eyes, and just everything with it. As we see that it is just screaming for Evan. It's just saying, kill Evan, kill Evan, right? And as all this is going on, right, eventually finds Evan. It's like, ah, here you are, Evan, right? As we see that Corleo's almost stood in shock from this. He's just like, what's going on here, right? And eventually Evan's like, wow, this um, end is actually awfully small here. Must have used a lot to come here. And he's like, all right, what's over? As all of a sudden we see that he holds up his hand, uses a sigil sorcery to sort of go and it shrinks it down into a box and a very interesting panel here on page 38. Evan is eventually like, hey Corleo, the reason I bought you here is to kill you right here, right now. As Corleo's like, huh? As we see that he's also started bleeding from some of this and he's just like, um, but everyone keeps just saying like, hey, multiple heroes and demon lords existing in a world of one deed called his rifts. And if I get rid of you and this thing, there will be one hero and one demon lord. It's like, I'm going to reside in this world permanently. And he's like, um, the environment of my former world is no longer inhabitable. Death awaits me, even if I killed a demon king. That is why I use my sigil sorcery to come to this world. So before you die, let me ask you this. What does it mean to be a hero? As all of a sudden, we see that um, Mama and everybody else are just talking and they're just like, hey, it stopped. What's going on here? I'm a giant life orb is spotted um, with coordinates um, with Evan and Corleo. As Mama's like, huh, what, Corleo? And all of a sudden, we see that the left hand of Mama is sort of just glowing and burning sort of holes in her skin. As we eventually see that Corleo is just like here with Evan. And Evan's just like, hey, what does it mean to be a hero? Corleo's is like, hey, I have no clue. And at this point... Um, Evan just speaks up again like, hey, I'm asking you, Corleo, what does it mean to be a hero? As eventually we see that behind Evan, End has sort of revived, and we sort of see like, that he used um, the demon sigil of this world to start, which of course he used Mama's sigil to reimburse, right? Um, but we see that Corleo just gets more narration, just going like, I've never known what a hero was. I thought I knew when I was a child, but I ended up clueless in the end. I'm a hero is strong and fights against their foes. That's what they're supposed to be, and yet. But wait, 
that's the answer. And you'd be like, but then what? I don't understand. A hero is strong and fights against their foes. They're always protecting something. As we see that Corleo jumps up, grabs Evan, and pushes him out of the way to um, think like, Evan has a means to protect himself. Um, and it's like, Corleo's goodwill was something that Evan deemed unnecessary, right? As all of a sudden, we see that Evan sort of looks at Corleo. And Corleo's just thinking like, hero, maybe? I don't know what's going on. He's like, I guess I just always wanted to be that kind of hero. As we see that Corleo's legs have been torn off of his body. He's missing an arm and he's all very bloodied and he is going to die, right? But at this, we see that Evan looks at Corleo and is like, but in spite of all of that, um, he's like, no wonder I didn't have a clue. As he looks, and we see that Mama's also there with um, Evan. And Mama's just freaking like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? As um, we see that she's looking at Corleo's pretty much dead body and freaking out. But um, Evan's just like, oh, the demon lord and um, I beat him. As he looks over to Corleo and Corleo's like, wait, I I'm alive here? But Evan says that, hey, I'm trading my life to heal, heal you, right? As Evan says, listen, Corleo, I've killed many people. Friend or foe, I've killed anyone necessary. My world was cruel. I couldn't survive there otherwise. Don't think of me as a hero. And he says, a hero fights to protect. You're not a hero because you are strong. You're a hero because you fight. You grow stronger and protect it to fight. He's like, I had forgotten that. I tried to forget it. You have a heroic heart everyone will call you a hero and he's like be proud corleo without it about you are a hero as we eventually get sort of a look into evan's personal world as um we see that people are calling for evan as he's sort of like standing behind him and he's like oh hey dane he's like irene shin grisha and he's like i i'm sorry and he's like i couldn't protect a single thing as he turns around and we see that these names are just calling for him, like, Evan, Evan, Evan. And he's like, can I ever come over your side? And we see that he sort of falls to the ground as he just says, hey, let's talk again. And eventually we cut to the final page, double page spread of Mommy Yu. Here's where I get chapter title, chapter number one, The Day I Became a Hero. As we see that Corleo is alive and we see all of Evan's um, items laying on the ground, of course, as he is vanished and we see that mama is crying there right next to um corleo i know he spent a lot of time on this chapter but i feel like this chapter is a very interesting one it has a bunch of very interesting dynamics in it of what does it mean to be a hero and eventually corleo just trying to learn this and along with the help of evan all green it is just very interesting and even rereading this chapter like i said this video is coming out a few months after these chapters have come out there's a lot of insight that I've gotten for the series, which makes it very interesting, right? Being that it's been too long on the last chapter, we're not going to spend very long on this one. This is Tenmaku Cinema, chapter number 21. It is the final chapter. The movie team sort of just watches the whole movie. Is Hajime and Karai there. Um, they watch the movie. Everybody claps and loves it, right? And, oh, look at that. Is um, Hajime, as Tenmaku's like, oh, hey, the movie belongs to the director. You've really worked so hard, Hajime, right? But Hajime's like, hey, Mr. Tenmaku, when I watch a movie, I am the type who likes to watch all the way to the end credits. As we see all the way at the bottom, we see that the movie was written by Takihiko Tenmaku, right? And it's like, hey, I'm going to um, pursue a career in filmmaking, and I want to continue working together with you, Tenmaku. So the two of them talk, and oh, look at that, the movie team won a bunch of awards, and Karai's mother issues finally get just fixed in an instant. 
oh man, look at that, the rest of the movie team is there, and they all take a picture, and the ending narration just goes like, it's been over 10 years since we've taken this picture, and the movie starring Hameki has gone worldwide, right? The movie's title is The Fang. It was a series, I've got a longer video on the channel talking about my whole thoughts on the chapter and the bittersweet ending that we got with it. You can go check out that video, it'll be linked in the description box down below, so I don't have too much else to say about it. And with that, we're going to go over to Kill Blue chapter number 20. This chapter is titled Versus the Brothers Rindo. We start off with, of course, Tim Matindo, the amazing and great character Tim Matindo, standing around as we see the brother, Inji, is um, using his golf club to fire off explosive golf balls where Tinma is. And of course, Tinma is using his power of I kick soccer balls good to um, get back at him, right? As the two of them come, um, we eventually just get a note of like, oh, hey, look, Tim Matindo wants to be the ultimate triple threat, right? Um, so there's an action scene where um, the two of them just swing golf balls and kick um, soccer balls. Big explosions go off as all of a sudden um, Tim is like, oh my gosh, this is like truly terrifying. He's like, I mean, I know this guy's a kidnapper, right? But I didn't know he'd be such a horrible person. But like, but is this real? Like, are these exploding golf balls real? Am I not just dreaming here, right? But all of a sudden he's like, man, that sound, that, that pitch sounded different. As all of a sudden there is a golf ball behind Tinma as he freaks out and jumps out of the way just in time. He's like... How did that golf ball come behind me? He's like, but wait a minute. In golf, there's such a thing as a backspin. As he thinks about it, and he looks over at Engine, and he's like, oh man, of course. He changed the clubs. As we see that um, he has a full set of clubs there to use whenever he goes to fire off these explosive golf balls, right? At this point, we cut over to where Otogami is. And of course, he's running through all of the hypnotized people who are acting like zombies. I mean, he's like, oh crap, there's too many of them. I can't shoot innocent people. And even if I did, I'd run out of ammo before I got them all. And he's like, I'm worried about Tinma, but I can't keep these guys busy forever. And he's like, I just need to get the hell out of here, right? And as he runs out, he runs outside to our entire fire crew's out here, right? And um, we see that Nekoda, the person inside of, um, or the person inside the headphone that uh, Otagami's talking to is like, hey, it looks like somebody called 911. I mean, it makes sense for all the ruckus going on here, right? But as Otagami runs, it's like, oh, wait a second. And um, all these fire people are hypnotized, right? Um, they're all firing their hose at full blast at Otagami. Which, if I'm not mistaken, this could very well kill a man. So, um, Otagami is doing a very good job dodging. We see that all of the gurneys that the medics have, they're all shoving them at Otagami. So, Otagami just comes up and he um, grabs out his gun and shoots some perfectly timed um, bullets at the um, hoses of the fire trucks to where um, they start just going all out of control and leaking and sort of getting out of people's hands. Um, Otogami grabs one and then eventually just, um, well, he doesn't, I think he may turn down the power or something to not outright kill these people, but he pretty much just goes and sprays water in a barrier around him to make sure that no people can get to him, right? Um, and Otogami's like, all right, okay, that should buy me a few minutes. And eventually, we see that somebody appears behind Otogami. Of course, Otogami's um, superhuman reflexes, he grabs his gun and turns around. But we see that this is no none other than Kapo, of course, who is a person who is on a double date with Tinma in this situation, right? Um, and she's like, 
what in the world? Why do you have a gun pointed at me, Otagami? Right? And Otagami's like, oh, hey, is it real? Like, um, it's an airsoft. It's an airsoft gun. Like, just trying to rearrange her. And he's like, but hey, what are you even doing here? And Kapo's just like, hey, I was worried about you guys. Um, I mean, what happened here it seemed like a real disaster area. And if this is where they took Norin, um, and she's like, well, hey, never mind this. Let me take this out for a second. As we see from their back pocket, they take out a lighter. As we see that, um, Kapo here pulls in Otagami's like, hey, I'm going to count to three. And once I do, and you hear the sound of this slider snapping shut, you will no longer be capable of attacking Cosma or AG Rindo. As we see that, yes, this is Cosma in a very elaborate disguise. And eventually, we see it just goes to three count. One, two, three. And the slider snaps shut. As we see that Otagami hears it, and he's like, oh man, he realizes, like, oh hey, you're Cosma Rindo. Um, and he eventually points a gun up, and Rindo's is like, hey, um, I'm an expert, or Cosmo, I should say. I was like, hey, I'm an expert at disguise, but even still, I sure took you a long while to figure that out, right? As he thinks to it, and as Otogami tries to pull the trigger at him, he's like, oh man, I seriously can't do it. I can't attack Cosma. And that is where we end our chapter with the note of, oh, hey, look at this. Um, Otogami may not be able to harm them anymore. He may have to figure out a way to win today, otherwise than this, right? Um, I do like this whole chapter, um, it's a really good idea just showing that, like, oh, hey, of course, um, AG can use different clubs. I think that's probably the best joke of the chapter, but overall, this is just a very solid chapter in general. Next up is Nui's Exodus, chapter number 17. This chapter is titled, I Was Afraid. We pretty much see that Gakuro's having a dream in the beginning of the chapter where Shiroha's all tied up and chained inside of her, um exorcist home fortress thing whatever and we eventually see that Gakuro's just dreaming about this and he just tries to go save her um but he's like hey wait Shiroha just wait please wait as he feels like please wait Fujino as he wakes up and he, Fujino's there they're in the school and Gakuro's like what's going on here Shiro's like oh hey good morning Gakuro and Gakuro's like hey where are we um Shiro just says they're in the occult club room and he's like Nui, Nui brought you here after um um, after a whole battle and healed you of some of your wounds too. And the two of them just talking and Shiro's like, hey, my loss of composure over your words led to my defeat. And Garker's like, oh, right. Um, I mean, I won that thing. But Shiro's like, hey, but you know, I didn't consider that failing. It was your strength that really prevailed. And as they talk, um, Shiro's like, hey, you really are a good person. He's like, um, she's like, I'm probably going to die because I lost Val, but you have a greater purpose to um, protect people and help Nui, right? And she's like, so you shouldn't worry about me. And she's like, see you. But Gakuro's like, hey, I mean, what's going on here for Gino, right? But Fujino's like, it's been fun. But all of a sudden, we see that Nui and um, Kyokatsu, I think is the other spirit's name, barge into the room. And um, they're just like, oh, man, the restroom of this building is complete. And it's like, well, how are the two of you doing, right? And it's just a big joke here. Um, and Shiro's like, hey, but I'm going to go home and, like, not be alive anymore after this. But Nui's like, hey, no, not a chance. You're not going to be killed. Shiroha's soul here has something called insidious binds. And pretty much the mechanism here is, like, that any resistance will cause the tool to strangle me to death and forcibly transport um, me back home. Um, it's all it takes. All it takes is an order from the lord of the Shiroha family, right? And like... As long as they have my course, Kyokatsu's um, contract can be transported transport over to someone else, right? Um, and eventually, um, Nui's like, all right, hey, so can you change your soul gear for me? She does, and um, 
they eventually check out these insidious binds that are on her soul gear, right? But all of a sudden, Nui just takes a look and is like, oh man, um, that'd be terrible to even break, right? But Nui's like, alright, this is how they take control of you. It's all of a sudden, she just breaks the binds and, um, yeah, we see that the um, Lord of the Manor there and the Shroud family sort of gets this like, oh man, quite the tricks you have there, Nui, right? But Nui pretty much says that she um, switched over control of the Insidious Binds and me, um, and with this, the control that your family had over your life is gone, right? Um, and with this, Nui's like, alright, let's eat dinner. And day dinner. There's another random spirit cat girl person there. Sure, I don't know who this is, but okay, there's somebody here. Um, but we see they're all just sort of hanging out here. Um, and Nui's like, hey, Shroha, you'll work here, you'll live here inside the schoolroom. Um, and there'll be a number of new things that you encounter, but from here on out, you'll be living here, right? Pretty much all says, like, um, cut over a little later. Um, all of the arrangements have been complete. Shiroha and Gakuro will be sleeping in the same room here. But Gakuro's like, hey, I was just gonna go, go home to my place. But Nui makes an actual good point saying, like, hey, um, that would mean that I can't maintain a clone through you as your medium, right? So Gakuro's gotta stay at school. And you're like, alright, sleep well, you threes. We see that um, Gakuro, Shiroha, and Kyokatsu are here. Um, we see that there are, like, two partitions between the two beds, right? And Gakuro, of course, just thinks, like, oh, hey, um... We're always sleeping next to each other. Oh my goodness, this is such a big problem, right? Um, and Shroha's also there, and as the two of them are just talking, um, they eventually go to bed, right? And Gakuro makes a stupid excuse so they could sleep next to each other. Like, okay, Gakuro, sure, why not? As we see the two of them, and they eventually just start talking as um, they just like talk about everything that happened and how there was no one for Shroha to rely on, but maybe Gakuro's there to rely on them now. And as they all go to sleep, we eventually cut over to the Shiroha Mansion place as we see that the some guy there is like, what, Shiroha failed? No, but even so. And he's like, okay, I understand. This is an order from the Lord. Well, damn it to hell. How many times am I going to have to kill my own pupils? As we see this guy standing here, his name is Morioki Fujino, and he is Shiroha's battle instructor and superior. And that's where we end the chapter with an obvious idea of, oh no, it looks like there's going to be a new conflict with this Morioki guy. That's not good. Now, next up is Akane Banashi, chapter number 77, titled I'm Burning Up. And we start off this chapter with a little bit of narration from uh, supposedly Akane. As she goes through and she's like, alright, Bakeru Anisan is a hot commodity, and everybody would agree about that. Koguma Anisan is um, so pure, is so much of a pure Rakugo knowledge concentrate that he overwhelms even experienced masters. And Koji Anisan is popular for his honest storytelling and compassion. And all three of them were role models I aspired to be like. No, what am I saying? This is Gearco saying this. I'm just stupid, right? But as Gearco just says, like, so I decide that in the same way as they serve as inspiration to me, I wanted to be a role model for others like me to aspire to be like as a senior apprentice as he thinks of Akane and as we sort of just go on we see the moment from last chapter from when um, Giriko is sitting down with um Mikairu and he's just like I'm just not as good as Akane right and he's just keep on talking got uh, Giriko just says like hey her improvement is so much of on another level every single bit event she can completely change her entire style it's like she's just been built differently and I'm painfully aware that I'm not like her right and um 
Kierko's just like, but even still, I don't want to give up to myself. And he's like, I know it's just like pointless pride, but still, I want to be like you guys. And in terms of, um, I want to run ahead of my little sister Prince in terms of skill. So he looks up a very determined face to Makara, just saying like, and meet a kind of older brother of Prince she can look up to. As all of the fireworks are going off. And uh, Makara's like, so do you have anything specific in mind you want to do? And supposedly... Um, Yuriko says something, but all the fireworks going off, sort of, we can't hear what Yuriko actually said, but we get Makari's reaction of, yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. He's like, good on you, um, you and Akanaru are both taking this super seriously, right? And at this point, Makari stands up, and he makes a pretty big declaration, and saying, I'm saying, I think it's time I did the same about graduating to Shinuchi, which, oh my gosh, that is a, a massive deal, right? Well, all of a sudden, we cut over to Kyoji, who, of course, was in the um, infirmary of the um, Shigasai Festival, of course, since all man, he got drunk off of candies, right? And it's the big thing to where he gets a phone call of a sudden. He's like, oh, hell, hello, who is this, right? And we learn that this is Master Miroku, right? I don't think that we have actually seen this guy too much. I think we've seen him in passing, but we haven't really focused on him, right? But um, he pretty much says, like, hey, I've got something for years only. So he's like, are you alone right now, Kyochi? Because we see him and we also see Rokuro sitting there. And that's pretty big because Rokuro is a very important character in this series, right? So eventually we see that Akane and Koguma are all staying beside each other. And they see that um, Kyoji is sort of going off on his own, right? And Akane's like, hey, do you think he's going to be fine over there? But Koguma's like, hey, he'll be fine. He just believes that... Um, he, Koguma Perona says it, yeah, it'll be completely fine, right? But as the two of them, um, talk, Akane's like, hey, so, um, hey, I hope you do good in that four-person event going on, right? As we remember, the whole part of the four-person event is that it is Mastery Kin hosting it, taking, um, four people of each of the levels, so we know is gonna be there, we know that, um, of course, Koguma's gonna be there, one other guy's gonna be there, I don't, think we really know too much about him and also of course Akara is going to be there since she beat Akane in that big championship sort of deal right but Kokomo pretty much just says like this is perhaps the greatest chance I'll ever have to make a name for myself so I intend to take full advantage of it too right as eventually as all of this happens Akane just thinks like man weakness is not the same as an experience as they watch the fireworks goes off right and as everything is going on Akane just talks about her inexperience right but she's just like hey if I need to catch up to all of these people, I need to become a Fatatsumi, right? As you saw, she, it's a little bit of a big deal there, too, that she's just saying, like, hey, I'm going to do this myself also, right? At this point, we cut over to a different character, of course, that being Shiguma, the, the high person of the Shiguma school, right? The master. As he's just like, oh, man, how rare is it to grace you with us with your prayer presence, right? Um, and we see that it is Miss Urara, right, who, of course, is there. Um, and she's pretty much staying around, and um, Shikuma's just like, um, hey, did you really feel like paying me a visit? But um, she's just like, no, I was just in a mood where you caught her, right? So the two of them just have some um, laughing, laughing, and eventually they bring up Rokuro. Is Urara's like, hey, so the, um, the Kashiwara Wonder Child was asking me about Shikuma's art, right? Um, and she pretty much, she says, like, I think he assumed I would be the easiest per person to ask about it. And she's just like, I found that rather insulting. And Shikuma's like, well, did you tell him anything? 
But Urara just says that um, she's like, certainly not. I made up a likely excuse and left him in the dark, right? But she says, I'm not cut out to be out. I'm not cut out to be that helpful. Does that really surprise you? But Shigma's just like, no. And he just says, like, the um, Urara-chan that I would know wouldn't have told him. So um, he's just like, people just don't change that much, right? And Urara just says they don't change. And yet, we have changed quite a bit. As we take a look from a Shigasai festival from long, long ago, supposedly, as we see a young group of four Rakugokas all standing there. And we can see one who's obviously, I think, shirtless um, there. And it, it, it is Shiguma. And we can obviously tell that one of the others, the female there, is most likely Urara. And we also see one other person standing there, who, if I'm not mistaken, is supposed to be this Master Miroku who we heard about earlier in the chapter, and one more who I am guessing is supposed to be um, the big guy of the series. It's not, is it Shigama? No, it's not Shigama. It's not Shinta. Shinta Zakane's father. Oh boy, why am I forgetting his name? Um, I'm gonna go check one of my Akane Banashi volumes because I I, need, I remember his name, but I just don't. Isho, Isho Arakawa, that's what his name is. I, I thought it started with an S, but I know it didn't. But yeah, Isho Arakawa, yeah, how could I forget that, right? But another person who I'm guessing is Isho also standing there. But cutting back to the present, Shiguma just says like, hey, we can't help that. We've all run on our different axes. Our paths must part ways, but to keep on moving forward or we will never reach anything. As we get a final panel looking at the five um, Shiguma school children there, as we see that Koguma's there, um, sort of all looking out into the sunset. We see Koguma, Akane, Mikeru, and um, Giriko all sort of looking off. Then we see Kyoji who is talking on a phone, right? Showing that even if these people are all friends today, maybe in the future they won't be. So this is a, honestly a great chapter, just wrapping up this whole like joke arc in a way, but um, by just showing what everybody's doing and eventually showing us a really interesting moment of the past of the Rakugokas and how everybody used to be friends, but now it's not quite that same way. So that's just a really awesome chapter, in my opinion. And yeah, I don't think you can just go wrong with it, right? Next up is Blue Box, chapter number 116, titled It's Rude, as we get a color page with Chinatsu sitting on the front of it, sort of taking off a ball cap while sitting down, right? It, it's a really nice color page, if I say so myself, right? But we see, um, we cut to the present where, um, of course, Taiki is there at the big championship, right? Or, I forget what this thing was, the tournament, I don't remember. Was it like the pre-qualifier to go to nationals? I don't remember, and honestly, I don't care that much, right? But the whole point is that Taiki's a little pissed off. We see that Kyo and some of the other people are there, right? And, um, Kyo's like, hey, so did anything happen? Um... And eventually we just see that Taiki's like, it's like I'm only in it for a win, but I wanted to be used to to prove something, to prove I'm strong, right? And um, he's just like, after having worked this hard, it'd be rude to tell myself that there's no use in fighting anyway, right? As um, we eventually look to see that Taiki is looking at the lineup for all the matches going on here. And he looks and he says that um, if him and Mochizuki both stay in the running, then they'll face off in the semifinals, right? Um, and Taiki just thinks, like, if he's really good enough to be one of the best teams in Sajikawa, he's like, why does he sell himself so short like that, right? At this point, we get a Kyo and Ayame moment, as the two of them are sort of just going, um, and we see that Kyo gets up from his seat and he's like, right, I'm almost up to go and win my match, right? But as he's going on, um, Ayame walks up and he's like, hey, um, 
she was like, hey, I'm going down to record a tournament too, right? And um, Kyo was like, oh, well, thanks for helping out, doing everything you do, right? But um, she just says like, hey, I I I'm sorry about it earlier. And Kyo's like, well, okay, like, what, what are you talking about, right? But Ayame just looks and she's like, I mean, when I asked you about like who you thought would win, right? And Kyo's just like, oh, and he's like, oh, I didn't really mind that at all. And um, he just says like, I get why you might see me that way. And he's like, I'm not like Taiki. I don't shout my goals to the heavens. But he says that's one of the best things about Taiki. And he just thinks like um, how earlier some people laughed at Taiki. And he's like, I wonder if Taiki's really scared, right? And he's like, if he doesn't reach his goals, wouldn't it be just a shock to your gut and everything, right? And um, he just continues like talking about Taiki and Chono and how people can laugh at them, make fun of them, right? But they're both playing it safe and moving forward despite all of the risks, right? Or they're not playing it safe, right? So eventually Kyo's just like, he's like, but deep down, I'm determined to snatch as many victories if I can, even if I am playing the safe route, right? So you just look at Ayame and so like, hey, so please cheer me on, right? Um, and Ayame just takes notice and she's just like, well, for what it's worth, I think you work so hard, it makes you all cool. And she's just like, good luck, right? Um, and she sort of just runs away and Kyo's just like, all right, what was all of that about, right? Well, eventually they're all, um, we cut to later while we see that Mochizuki um, is sitting there with one of his friends, and of course Taiki is walking um, around him at the same time. And we see the Mochizuki saying to one of his friends, like, hey, he's like, earlier while I was waiting for a match, there was some kid saying he wanted to go to nationals. I couldn't help but laugh, and he's like, well, maybe we've all forgotten what it feels like, is we sort of just get to point that um, everybody in such call has just seen Hyoto's overwhelming strength for so long, and with used to being the same sort of powerhouse, they can't say things like that because they just know they're not as good, right? Um... And they pretty much just say it. Um, and Mochizuki Stevens like, but I mean, people do say that it's important for people to voice their ambitions aloud, right? Um, but he's like, hey, I'm just too afraid to even bring up nationals. Um, even though at the end, the future only amount to your talent is small for you put in. And he's like, it's rude to the masters when an average nobody talks about his dreams, right? And um, he's just like, it's just called knowing your place. Which is a very interesting sort of deal because I understand what he's saying. Like, it's um, not fair to the people who've put in hours and hours and years of work to be a master or something to then just say that I'm going to be better than you as a high schooler. But even still, his point just sort of falls flat into the point of, oh, look at that. I mean, Taiki has put in the hard work and effort, so. But eventually the two of them turn around and Mochizuki looks at Taiki, gives him like, a shit-eating grin as he just looks at him and he's like oh did you overhear us there right but as time goes on we eventually cut forward to where mochizuki and taiki are in that semi-final round taiki was talking about earlier right um and as they're sort of talking getting ready to shake hands mochizuki's like hey don't be so mad about earlier he's just like that's just how we think it's not like we're going to tell you what to do right and but taiki says like hey don't worry i know how you feel as they get into the match, and it's a bunch of badminton playing stuff, and the whole point of this whole scenario is Taiki just thinking, like, hey, I've thought about all of this, too. Like, I, I've thought about that, how I don't know my own limits and how this might be a far-off goal, but I don't think that's a reason to put myself down. There's zero chance that I would ever let that way of thinking get to better of me, right? As eventually we cut back, or back over to the gym at... um the high school there. I forget what their high school's name is. It's something, right? But, um, to Taiki and Chinatsu and everybody's high school in the series, as we see that, um, 
Nishida is there playing a round of Hyodo, and um, he's like, hey, Haru, um, do you remember that tortoise and a hare thing um, that we were talking about before? And um, Nishida's like, um, well, Taiki's less like a tortoise, more like a wild boar, don't you think, right? And Haru just sort of raises an eyebrow to this, but um, Nishida just says, like, he, um, even a hare can be overtaken more easily than you think, right? And still, Haru's just like, oh, okay, dude, what are you talking about, Nishida? It's a good into the chapter, and it is really just showing to, yeah, okay, look at that. Um, Taiki's stealing his resolve, and I, I do like the fast progression this chapter holds, just sort of, like, building up something of, right, Mojizuki versus Taiki's gonna happen, and then we have a few moments in between with Mojizuki and Taiki and that other guy, and with Ayami and Kyo sort of building it up for, Taiki shows what he's sort of made of in his resolve, so. Pretty good, a solid blue box chapter. Next up is Elusive Samurai, chapter number 125. This chapter's titled Reunion 1337. And we got a cool color page with Tokiyuki on it, sort of in like a dragon scale dress. There's like a water sea serpent dragon thing coming up behind him. And also Gimba's there. And it looks like Gimba's getting cut by Tokiyuki's sword. So, okay, that's a little interesting. Um, I, it's a beautiful color page, don't get me wrong, but... In typical Lucid Samurai fashion, let's just speed through this chapter, right? Alright, so if you don't remember what happened last time, there's the whole thing with Ayako and um, Tokuyuki, where Tokuyuki's fallen, or Ayako's fallen off a ledge, and um, Tokuyuki um, had to pull Ayako back up, right? But then all of a sudden, this weird guy came down, um, saying that he wanted to marry Ayako, and the winner in a duel, right? And um, Tokuyuki's like, no, you're not going to do that, so they do a little bit of a fight. And, oh my gosh, Akie almost fires some arrows into dude, and it's a big deal, right? But, oh man, look at that, Ayako's overwhelming him, and, oh man, knocking him down the stairs, because, oh man, would you believe that? It's the high ground! Get the high ground, Anakin, or whatever that joke is from episode 3, right? And then, I don't know if you also remember from last time, the anti-Hojo weapon that Uisugi Dono and Shiba had. Well, what is it? It's Yasue, Tokuyuki's uncle! Like, oh no, this is a really big deal, and you know this is really bad because Yasuge doesn't have anything written on his forehead, right? Which, it's sad because it's such a funny joke, right? But it is the secret weapon now, Stop Tojo Party. Um, we get a little bit of narration just saying that the um, unyielding Hojo Yasuge staged two rebellions with the Shinano warriors following the Nakasendai War. Um, the first was a crush in Shiano by Sadamune, and the second was in Kamakura, um, but it was easily put down by Shiba, um, who captured, of course, Yasuye. Um, and even though he was an important figure, it is not known what became of him after that. Sort of showing that in history, yeah, Yasuye didn't appear after that um, second thing that Shiba happened, but it's being used as a historical fiction here, right? I do really like this note, right? Shiba's like, right, Tokyuki, you better surrender, right? If you do, I'll spare Yasuge's life, right? Tokiyuki is just freaking out, and everybody's just freaking out here. So like, what's going to happen? Um, all of a sudden, Nagao, the um, zombified warrior, goes to attack Kodro and pretty much knocks Kodro down in an instant, right? Um, like, his sword is weakened. And at that point, we see that Shiba is just like, Man, what's going on here? Like, um, Tokiyuki, I've got this in, um, check bait. Like, Akie, I've got you caught too. And Akie's looking up, right? As Tokiyuki says, like, Uncle, Uncle, oh no, Uncle, um, Isuye. And he's like, Shiba Aninga, I will never forgive you, right? And he's like, you coward. And he's just like, what should I do? I need time to think. Like, well, like what's going on here? 
But all of a sudden, as Nagao is going to finally almost cut down Tokoyuki, somebody comes in and kicks off the blade with their leg, right? As we see, this person comes in and looks down to Kodro and just says, like, hey, it's been a long time, Kodro. As we see, this is Sheena. Of course, this was the person with Masamune who had um, her leg, or not her, her both of her um, arms cut off, or it was something, some amputation. Um, and she's like, oh, Tokyuki-sama, my new master. And she's like, your servant Sheena awaits your orders. Don't get me wrong, this is actually an amazing chapter for as much crap as I gave it. The beginning with the whole thing of, oh man, this guy wants to get Ayako because of old traditions, right? It's bad, just you can throw it out, like, it's not good. Um, and then Akia, of course, was showing like, oh man, I fire arrows, so I'm gonna take this guy out, right? It's just bad, but I do really love the idea of how the anti-Hojo weapon is a person. It's Yasuye, right? It's the one family member that Tokuyuki has left, right? And it's a pretty big and interesting thing there. As Nagao comes down next and almost beats up Kojiro, it's a very interesting thing. And Tokiyuki's thing of like, Shiba, I will never forgive you, right? He doesn't even say I'll kill you. He says I'll never forgive you. And then eventually as Nagao's coming in, Sheena comes in to save the day. This is really awesome. Um, like I said, it's not like the best chapter of the week or anything, but this is still as solid as can be, right? But then we're going to finish it up with Witch Watch, chapter number 124. This chapter is titled The Day of the Disaster, part 11, right? We're getting up in these Day of the Disaster whole type deals, right? Um, but we see that um, Wolf dug Nico out of the hole that she was in, being that um, Wolf beat Kumagi last time with the help of Nimu. Um, we see that Nico's just freaking out, like, man, I was fine, and suddenly there was no ground, there was a big dark wall, and like, boosh, like, ah! So it's pretty nice, and, um... Nimu's like, alright, Nico, you can calm down, right? Um, and I love just Wolf's reaction of, man, you must have really wanted somebody to talk to, right? Um, but at this point, Nico looks over to Kumugi, right? And um, he's like, oh, Kumugi. But Wolf is just like, hey, she ain't dead. She's just worn out, both physically and magically, right? But then we see that Nimu is there, and Nimu and Nico sort of just hug it out, and they just have talk, and they just talk a little bit. And Nimu's like, man, I can't believe to understand, like, how much you've been through, Nico. And she's like, if there's any way I'll help, I'll gladly do it for you, right? And she's just like, because we're friends, right? And as they do that, Nico finally thinks about, like, oh, right, all the others. Like, we were separated and they were attacked, too. Like, we have to go help them, right? But Wolf just is like, hey, wait, they're fine. They'll push over this. He pulls out his phone and we see that in their group text or whatever in their group chat. Of course, we know that, um... We see that both Kanshi and Miharu, which I find it pretty funny because Miharu has his vic his um, image of a rose and Keigo of his Tengu fan, right? But pretty much as that's going on, um, we pretty much see it like, hey, they both wonder battle even if they got a little bit of heat. Um, if it was a little hard, right? Um, and they're both like, oh wow, both Miharu and Khan won. And, like, um, and it's a little bit of a joke to where um, they're like, wow, there's some awfully casual descriptions in the group chat, right? Um, but Kago's like, all right, well, they're headed our way now, so it's no big deal. Wolf is in just like, and he's like, oh, hey, um, did you hear that, Kumagi? And he's just like, sounds like your buddies are all six feet under, right? But we see that Kumagi's just like, but what about Morito, right? And um, Nico's like, yeah, we don't have any messages from him, which means he's still fighting, right? And Kumagi's just like, well, he can't win against Ran. And everybody's like, huh, well, how are you so sure about all of that, right? Um, but she just says that, like, Rand's the greatest warlock he is, and pretty much saying that, like, 
Um, he's super strong and he's so rare. He's practically unheard of, right? It's like the be- I mean, he's pretty much like um, the way to beat him is um, just doesn't exist, right? Saying like he's so powerful. As we cut over to where Morito and Ran are fighting, as we see an image that, of course, really looks like the whole thing is like Ran has punched through Morito's stomach. But of course, we see that it just barely missed him as Morito goes through and catches his arm on his side, sort of squeezes it shut. And at this point, he sort of uses gravity on his side and momentum to pick up Rand and swing him around and crash him his back into the ground, right? We see a little blood fly out of Rand's mouth. Morito goes in for our punch, but Rand gets out of the way too soon, right? As um, eventually we just see it like Morito's like, man, you got me there. That's good, right? But we see the two of them are just fighting. Um, and we see that Morito is just like doing some thinking. He's just like, man, I slammed him into the ground fall my strength, and he's still not really injured. He's like, talk about incredible, inc- incredible recovery speed. He's like, so why didn't he just come at me then from the beginning? He's like, um, that was his chance. I was super wide open. Is it because um, he hadn't fully healed yet? As he just really thinks, and um, he's eventually just like, well, then do his um, internal injuries take longer to heal than external ones? He's like, it's only a little, but I think his recovery um, speed is slowing down as a whole. And pretty much going like, he's tired slowly, but surely I am slowly wearing him down. They keep going through and just trading blows, and eventually um, they just get talking. And um, Morito's just like, um, hey, I'm going to get you. But um, Rand's like, hey, do you have um, how many times? Do you have an idea of how many times I've tried to kill myself? Um, if you have any way to kill me, I'd love to see it. But he's pretty much just saying, like, you're clearly angling for something big. You have been this whole time. So you're like, so you have some trick up your sleeve, huh? And he's like, do it. Kill me if you can, right? So eventually we cut over and we see Connie's walking with Tokito, right? And they're pretty much talking and the whole point is like, oh man, Ron's immortal, no one can kill him, right? Like, let alone some privileged little ogre boy and his um, dumb hair spike, right? Which is a little rude to Morito, but I mean, whatever, right? But as they're talking, Khan's just like, hey, shut up, no picking on Morito and his weird hair torses. And he's just like, hey, you're just a guy who loves to be judgy about everything, right? Um, and eventually Khan's just like, hey, first and foremost, we're not out to kill anybody. If we were, you all would have already been dead, which... Good threat. I, I like that con, right? Um, and they're pretty much saying like the only way we've talked is that, um, we want to um, incapacitate him, right? And like we knew this fight was coming, so Morito's been thinking of just how to do that for ages, right? And eventually we cut over to where Wolf is with Nico, Nimu, and Kumagi, as um, he just says that like, hey, that's where Miharu comes in, or like Miharu. And um, as they're talking, like, they're like, wait a minute, didn't Rain already say that um, Miharu trying to drain him could endanger Miharu's life, right? Um, and Wolf was like, hey, that's the plan that Morito um, put together. It's the only way he could find the beat, Ran. And he said, he told Miharu to stay prepared so we could be ready for it on a moment's notice, right? And as they're there, we see that Miharu's looking determined as he's looking to get to everybody. And like, okay, so are we on the right path here? And like, this trail um, doesn't lead to number two route. Um, but Miharu's like, oh, it's the right path. I'm not going to Nico, right? And he's like, I'm going to where Morito is, right? Um, of course, Fran and Jekyll, who are with him, are just like, go to Morito, so you aren't going to guard Nico, right? But Miharu's like, no, Morito is still fighting, which means I have to go help him. That was our deal, right? Um, we go over to Mor- um, Morito where he is fighting Ran, and we see that he is pulling out the Kai Goku move where pretty much he just bulks up his muscles. He just goes in and punches into Ran, and Ran goes flying. And Ran just like, oh my god, what the hell is that? He's like, where do you hide all of that bulk, right? 
Um, and what's his name? Uh, Morito's just like, I kept this trick hiding up my sleeve, literally, right? As um, Rain's like, hey, where'd you learn that, right? And Morito's like, hey, I had a real ogre of a coach, right? And he just says, like, I'll buy time for all the skills my master taught me. This isn't a real trick. There is a way to um, incapacitate Ran, and Miharu has it. The Twilight is, and if you don't remember what the Twilight did, is it is the rose stem that saps somebody's full life. Um, of course, we saw that with Morito whenever he got it put on him and his arm kept being tied to people. So it was a funny joke there, but they're going to use the Twilight to try to incapacitate Ran. So, awesome Witch Watch chapter just building up. Hey, this is how we plan to beat Ran, which is just amazing. Um, and that is all the chapters for this week. I feel like I talked about those 11 chapters for a little while, especially Mama Yu Yu and a few of the other ones, but this was definitely a good weekend jump, a lot of really solid chapters, um, of course, going through. But now on to the rankings where I I'm actually looking on this now, and let's see. Which watch? Mark Master Sumi, Kaibanaki, I'm forgetting Kill Blue in here somewhere, which... <laughs> I don't know how I managed to do this, but I did. So we're gonna do a few of the own ed or live edits to my um, ranking from four months ago. So definitely, which watch was the best chapter this week? I really enjoyed a whole thing of um, just showing that they have a way to beat Rand in a roundabout strategy. Um, next up is going to be Martial Master Sumi because that was just an amazing chapter showing buildup of a complete chapter from beginning to end and ending with the Overground Tournament starting. Um, then Martial Master, or yeah, Martial Master Sumi, then Akane Banashi, of course, showing everybody's resolving, getting a look back into the past with all the Masters and our great one. Um, Undead Luck was good. Mama Yu Yu, I ranked fifth after that. Um, then Tenmaku Cinema, Blue Box, Noise Exus, Isunose's Family, and Elusive Samurai. I am going to change this ranking up a little bit here, so I'm going to take from Nui's Exorcist to Ichinose's family to the Elusive Samurai. I'm going to move all of them down one. Um, move Tenmaku Cinema down. Ten, Tenmaku Cinema. And then we're going to add Kill Blue in, so... Oh, Control-C, or oh, Control-Z, 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 Control... Or whatever, it's fine. Kill Blue, which means the updated ranking now is Witch Watch, Martial Master Sumi, Akane Banashi, Undead Unluck, Mama Yu, Blue Box, Kill Blue, Tenmaki Sinma, Nui's Exorcist, Ichinose Family, and the worst chapter being the Elusive Samurai, which again, retroactively, I'm going to change to Ichinose Family because, yeah, it, it wasn't a great chapter all in all. I mean, and I definitely feel like some of the Elusive Samurai points in there were really good, especially here on a um, later week reread. So definitely very good. And then the character 40 week, of course, I picked Evan Allgreen from Mama Yu Yu because how could I not? I mean, with a name as Evan Allgreen, I mean, there were a lot of good characters this week. Don't get me wrong. Rip, we just saw how good of a guy he was. Um, Nido and Yoshitoki, especially Yoshitoki, just showed how good of a person he was. Um, uh, Akane Banashi, I really liked Giriko's whole, like, resolve building thing. Same with, um, Taiki and Blue Box, but you gotta give it to Evan Allgreen. I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you there. Um, yeah, and with that, that is everything for this video. Um, thank you guys for watching. I feel like this was an especially long one, but we see how long all the recordings are here a little later whenever I get this thing uploaded, so... 
Oh boy, I may have a night in ahead for me, but um, of course, if you want to join our community and talk some show and jump with us, don't forget um, ready to do it. Um, there's a Discord and Twitter communities linked in the description box down below. And while you're going in there to maybe join this thing, so if you won't mind, um, hitting the subscribe button it is just a little button you can press and it really helps me out. And if you want to see more of this content, that's probably the easiest way to get it to you effectively. Um, and if you want to comment on what I thought of any of these chapters, hopefully you will leave it also down in the um, comments down below. And yeah, I'll read your comment. If I got something to say to it, I'll say something. If I don't, I don't. But I'll probably have something to say to it, right? Without further ado, I don't have too much else to say. This was Weekly Show and Jump issue number 41 of 2023. And I'll be back next time with Weekly Show and Jump issue number 42 of 2023. Guys, this was really fun. This will be Gold Plasma 231. Signing out.